What's going on, everybody? This is Eric Elliott back here with another episode of the Refocus Nutrition Podcast. Uh, this week, we have on a very special guest. We have on Mike Bergner. Uh, Mike Bergner, for those of you who don't know, is known as the godfather of American weightlifting. Um, he was the first, he was the, uh, I mean, there's a reason that the title of this podcast is um, the godfather of American weightlifting, but um, Mike is actually someone that I reached out to. Actually, I'm looking at the email right now. I reached out to him on June 26, 2017. Uh, I was at that time working in the media industry. I was a 23-year-old kid, um, and I was just starting to go through counseling and realizing that you know I didn't want to do journalism. I had no interest in it whatsoever. Um, the hours, the pay, the condition, the culture of media um, did not appeal to me in any way, shape, or form. Um, so I was looking to get into fitness coaching, um, whether that was CrossFit, nutrition coaching as well. Um, so one of the people I reached out to was Mike. Um, and he basically responded uh, a couple of days after I sent him an email on July 3rd and basically said, get started with the level one. Um, move through the SME courses like the weightlifting, gymnastics, mobility. Uh, he is the one that originated and uh, now runs the program for the CrossFit weightlifting course. Uh, he was also, as we talked about, inducted into the USA Weightlifting Hall of Fame. He pioneered the approach of the growth of USA weightlifting and just weightlifting in general, um, just with CrossFit because at, at the time, and, and Mike talks about this as well, uh, there was a lot of people that were upset uh, with the state of weightlifting and how it merged with CrossFit because when CrossFit first started out, there was some, we'll say less than awesome, less than awesome uh, technique on the uh, lifting side of things with CrossFit. And, you know, USA, rightfully so, USA Weightlifting had some apprehension to getting involved with CrossFit. Um, but since then, the sport has exploded thanks to CrossFit's involvement with it. Um, and, and he kind of just shared his journey with me um, in July. And since then, uh, we've kind of kept in touch uh, just via text message and, and things like that. Um, he's talked to me about, you know, I've, I've sent him videos, as he'll mention on, on the podcast. Uh, I've sent him videos of of my snatch and he's kind of sent me video like explanations of what I should do uh, on my snatch going further and working on uh, positional work as well so I think a lot of uh, a lot of what I want to see in the industry as far as coaching is what Mike Bergner uh, exemplifies he's not in it for the money he's not in it for fame he's in it to help people and this is a guy that's into his 70s and as I said, he doesn't need the money to be doing what he's doing right now, but he's still helping people. And he's doing so in a lot of cases for free. He's inviting people to his own home, his own garage, to help people um, get better at weightlifting, become better human beings. And, and he's just working on his craft over and over and over again. Like I said, Mike's never actually met me in person, but he spends the time to break down videos, to talk to me, and to talk to other people like me. So... I think you're going to get a lot of value out of this episode, and I think if you can take anything anything away from Mike, um, it's his discipline towards the things that he loves and enjoys and helping other people get better. So enjoy this episode, guys. That was kind of a long introduction, but enjoy this episode. Uh, share it, like it, um, share it on your Instagram pages, and tag myself so that we can see who's watching it, who's listening to it. And uh, yeah, have a great, awesome day, guys. All right, guys, and we're back with the one and the only Mike Bergner. Uh, Mike Bergner is known as the godfather of American weightlifting to a lot of people. Uh, he's also the uh, the lead instructor or the, the first ever instructor for CrossFit's weightlifting course. Um, so when it comes to, to that, Mike has a long history of coaching the Olympic lifts, um, but just coaching in general. He spent 32 years as a school teacher, which is longer than I've actually been alive, which is crazy to me um so mike welcome to the show and and tell us a little bit about yourself um i know you've got a long history of coaching teaching 
you know, just being in, in sports because you were also in football. So, yeah, tell me a little bit about how Mike grew up uh, in terms of, you know, athletics and how you got into football in America and, and weightlifting in general. Well, first of all, I'm, I'm a geezer. I'm 73 years old. So it's just <laughs> like a super stud geezer, basically, because I named the groups when they're when they reach my age. I get to name all the groups. But uh, <laughs> uh, I grew up in southern Illinois in the United States, uh, which was a farming and a coal mining part of the world. And uh, my dad was a dairy uh, dairy person. He owned a dairy. And, and uh, you know, I grew up in a very loving household with uh, two other sisters, younger than I was. And I graduated from high school in 1964 and, and uh, played football in high school and baseball, basketball, and ran track and did all of it, basically. And then went on to Notre Dame in uh, 1964 went to the University of Notre Dame on a football scholarship and played for Era Parsegian and uh, who was a legendary coach in the States at that time and that's where I first got introduced to Olympic style weightlifting with a Catholic priest by the name of Father Lang BHB Lang and uh, Father Lang was was one of those unique characters that loved uh, physical culture. And he, he taught physics at Notre Dame, but uh, uh, when he retired, he built himself, built a weight room, funded it by himself, and then uh, you know allowed the students to come in there and lift weights under his instruction. And uh, when I went to Notre Dame, I weighed 165 pounds and, um, Coach Parsegian wanted me to be heavier, so he suggested I go down to the weight room to see Father Lang. And I did, and fell in love with Olympic-style weightlifting. And the next year, I weighed 185 pounds, and my 40 time got better. Um, so, you know, it was a natural fit for me. Dur during the off-season, we would, you know, we played football during the season, obviously, but during the off-season, there wasn't much of a program, but... Uh, but I and several other friends would go down to the weight room and lift weights and then compete in weightlifting contests throughout the Midwest while, you know, during the off-season time at uh, football. And uh, from there, I went to – became a strength coach at the University of Kentucky. I was in the Marine Corps and then taught uh, physical education weight training at the high school level for 32 years. And then retired in 2008 after I got involved with CrossFit in 2005, actually got involved with CrossFit and teaching the Olympic list with CrossFit. And, uh, and then, you know, and here I am now, you know, uh, several years later. So. Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a lifetime of changes too. And like there's the amount of things that have changed within the sport of weightlifting within, I mean, the advent of CrossFit when you first started out, you, it wasn't even, an invention at that point. Um, when it comes to, you know, your, your growing up and getting into weightlifting, were you into lifting weights at all, exercising it at all before you, you went to off to see Father Lang and met Father Lang? Or was it like, how did you get into to lifting weights? Because I know you're, like you mentioned, you're 165 pounds going in as a freshman. I mean, I'm sure you did athletics throughout high school, but what did you do for a routine, if, if any, at that point? Well, my dad was uh, a very strict individual, and he, he was an All-American at uh, James Millican University in Illinois. And back in those days, lifting weights would make you – their belief was lifting weights would make you muscle-bound. So my dad would not allow me to lift weights, but he did allow me to work very, very hard. So I had to deliver milk with him in the mornings uh, – to people's houses and I had to bale hay and shovel coal and and his way of working you know your core muscles was was basically just hard work and so I guess I could probably say I was farm strong basically <laughs> but even as a young young boy uh, at an early age I would go down to the the local drugstore and pick up muscle and fitness or strength and health and and read, you know, everything I could about strength training. So I, I really had a, an interest in it at a very young age. But if I lifted weights, and I did, I, I mean, I did some weightlifting without my dad's knowledge. <laughs> but I had to sneak, I had to sneak around, <clears throat> around with it. So we would do, 
you know, what kids do, we would, we would obviously do pull-ups and push-ups and things like that to get a muscle pump going. But, you know, we would do bench presses and we would do squats and, you know, things like that. We really just followed whatever, whatever workout was on, <clears throat> was in the magazine. So we obviously we do two arm barbell curls and dumbbell curls and things like that. But as far as the snatch and clean and jerk and the clean and press back in that day, uh, were just something that we had no knowledge of and we really didn't do those exercises. Yeah. And that, and what you kind of just mentioned too, I know like those, those who aren't really into weightlifting and haven't followed the, the history of weightlifting might not even understand what you were talking about in the clean and press, right? Because that was, a, that used to be the, the movement instead of just a clean and jerk, right? right. So I want to back up a little bit too, because I heard in another podcast, I think it was actually uh, the one you did with uh, Jason Ackerman. You mentioned, you mentioned you're kind of a, for lack of a better word, a shit disturber uh, when you're going up through, through school, but you end up becoming a teacher. How the heck does that happen? Well, I'll tell you what, it was, <laughs> I have no idea. Um, I, I guess, you know, it's one of those things that the seed was planted early by my dad. And then both of my sisters became school teachers as well. But, uh, you know, I was in the Marine Corps when I met my wife. And uh, uh, I was on my way overseas. And she and I had talked about getting married. And, uh, but she didn't want me to stay in the Marine Corps. She wanted me to get out. She wanted to stay in California. And she, she grew up as a as a military brat basically and had to travel all over every two or three years so her father was uh, a navy doctor and he knew the superintendent of schools um in fallbrook california and basically you know he told me that you know that he could get me a job teaching at the high school level in fallbrook california if i got out of the marine corps so I had to think about it, but I, you know, I, I decided to go ahead and, and do that. And, and while at Notre Dame, I was, you know, I was smart enough to, uh, to know that there would be a possibility that I might want to go into coaching. And if I did that, I'd have to have a teaching credential. So Notre Dame didn't offer teaching credentials, but their sister school, St. Mary's did offer it. So, uh, I took an extra semester at Notre Dame and got my teaching credential, never expecting that I would ever use it. But, uh, you know, luckily for me, I did. And uh, I got out of the Marine Corps and then went to work at Fallbrook High School in 1975. And, you know, then the rest is history. I just moved on to different schools. I went to Missouri for one year, then didn't like the weather in, in Southeast Missouri. So and my wife didn't like it either. So we, came back to California and that's where we ended up teaching at uh, uh, Vista Unified School District and my wife taught at Bonsville Unified School District and uh, and that's where we stayed for you know the rest of our tenure I, I retired in 2008 and I think she retired in uh, 2012 or so Wow. So that's a, yeah, it's a long, like I said, a long teaching career for sure. Um, you yeah. mentioned being in the army. What, what were the, what were some, no, 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 the Marine Corps. A big sorry, you mentioned, yeah. So you mentioned being in the Marine Corps. <laughs> um, what were the biggest things you, you took away from that experience for how long you served? Like how long were you in the Marine Corps? Well, I was in for 10 years, basically. It wasn't an all-active duty, but when I was at Notre Dame, I joined a, a program called the PLC, Platoon Leader Command uh, class, and uh, and it allowed me to, you know, took summer camps and get me in shape and uh, for football and so on and so forth. Um, but I was in for 10 years. I was with a special operations unit, First Force Reconnaissance Company, and, uh, you know, that that experience with very strong young men. I was an officer. I was a platoon commander and then later a company commander. But that experience really helped me in the classroom because it allowed me to, you know, to project discipline. It allowed me to address a group, uh, own a group, basically know what to say, how to say it, and uh, be a force uh, when I was speaking to you know, to individuals, whether it's in a clinic or whether it's in a classroom. I think, I think that Marine Corps experience really kind of gave me the experience I needed, at, you know, to be able to 
address a crowd and be able to own the crowd basically with the words that come out of your mouth. Absolutely. I, 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 I've never served and I, I've rarely come across friends who have even served. But one of the things I had, I had on my notes to ask you was talking about the idea of discipline, the concept of discipline, because I think that in so many aspects of life will transfer over to success and, and just being able to, to do the things you want to do. So like my question for you was what does discipline mean to you and how did that, that initial discipline through the Marine Corps transfer into other aspects of your life uh, as you started to teach, as you started to coach and, and everything else? Yeah, I, I, discipline is critical, you know, I mean, as Jocko always says, you know, freedom equals discipline or discipline equals freedom. I, I mean, it's, it's just a way of life. And, uh, I, and I've always been extremely disciplined, even as a young kid. And, but it started with my dad waking me up at 4.30 in the morning to deliver milk to people's houses. And uh, I always relate the story that he would come down and wake me up you know, and he would wake me up by grabbing my big toe and pinching it. And uh, he, he did that two or three times. And then all of a sudden, I'm up before he comes down. And that was that was what he was after. He wanted me to be ready to go when he wanted me to be ready to go. And so when I went to Notre Dame, I just carried that discipline with me. And, you know, but the Marine Corps really taught me uh, leadership by example, basically, you know, I mean, never ask your students or your men or anybody else to do things that you yourself wouldn't do. And so I think the any success that I've had in the classroom or coaching is the understanding that I would never ask anybody or, or anyone to do something that I wouldn't, I wouldn't do as well. And so I think that respect came in the classroom. Uh, I used to run with my my kids, and, and as I got older, my knees started wearing out. I couldn't run anymore, but I would ride a bike. And I think they really appreciated that, you know, that kind of leadership. And, uh, you know, if I gave them burpees or pull-ups or push-ups, I did them as well with them. And uh, there were motivational consequences, but the motivational consequences were for misbehavior or, you know, not doing the right thing was was always the same. Well, we all did it as a class. So if one person, you know, misbehave or was given motivational consequences, the old class did that, and uh, that really helped helped with a lot of uh, you know easier times in the classroom because people didn't want to be known as that guy or that girl that caused the class to do burpees. And uh, you know, I learned that in the Marine Corps. You know. It's, uh, one person can get the whole unit uh, eliminated. And so that discipline became very, very important. And I, and I learned that at a, long, a young age with my dad, and then it just carried through in the, uh, in the classroom by my Marine Corps experience. I love that your term of the uh, motivational consequences. <laughs> I, like, I like that uh, as, a, as a coach, just teaching that way. That's awesome. Um, so when it comes to the Olympic lifting and how you got into that, you mentioned uh, the, the clean and jerk, the clean and press, and obviously the snatch. Tell me a little bit about that because you're one of, one of the few um, today anyways or, that have gone through that transition. Um, so tell me about learning the clean and press and how you adapted to learning the clean and jerk at the time. Well, back in the day, and, and this is like, in, again, the early 60s, 64, 65, there were three lifts that were contested in a weightlifting contest. The first one was the clean and press, and then after the clean and press, the snatch would take place, and then after the snatch, the clean and jerk would take place. Then I think in 2000, they eliminated the clean and press from competition and added you know, added women to the competition. I think it was 72, or 1972. It was 1972 that they eliminated the, uh, the press, not 2000. 2000 is when they allowed women to start uh, lifting in the Olympics. But 1972 at the, at the Munich Games was the last time that the clean and press was contested. <clears throat> but at Notre Dame, uh, you know, everybody started out with the clean and press because Father Lang would allow you to earn money. None of us had any money. I mean, it, we were on athletic scholarships, but we didn't have any spending money. So Father Lang would, would tell us that if you clean and press your body weight 10 times, I'll give you 50 bucks. 
<laughs> so for me, I didn't have any money, so I started cleaning and pressing, and I wanted to clean and press my body weight 10 times, so I started working on it every single day. I probably was overtrained as hell in the clean and press because that's all I ever did initially because I wanted to get that money. And uh, and then he had other incentives, like if you hung from a pull-up bar five minutes, it just hang there for five minutes, he'd give you 25 bucks or, or you know, always kind of some kind of motivation to keep you going. But uh, that's really where I started learning the clean and press. And then it, it wasn't a military press. We learned how to do the Olympic press, which is a little bit more forgiving than the military press. And uh, uh, basically it's, it's a clean and jerk without bending your knees. So, but that's what I did. And, uh, you know, I earned, I became very good at it because I practiced it all the time. And, and I never even worked on the, on the clean and jerk because I could, whatever I could, clean and press I could clean and jerk so I had to work hard on the snatch because that was a that was a tough movement pattern but the, the clean and press was became easy for me because I simply practiced it all the time yeah that's amazing um one of the things like I've seen in and just kind of going from a cursory knowledge or a cursory view of the uh the clean and press was often like people just like really leaning back and almost bench pressing uh, that bar overhead, which is just crazy and fathomable to today. Um, when it comes to that, with the feeling within the weightlifting community, what was it like when that uh, was it, you know, was it really well accepted when they took out the press or how does the, uh, how did the weightlifting community take that one? Well, I mean, of course I hated it because I wanted to do the clean and press because that was my best lift. And so <laughs> many times I'd go into a weightlifting contest and I would be several kilos ahead of, uh, you know, everybody else when the clean and press was over. But by the time the clean and jerk or the snatch came into play, we would be even back up. And then of course the clean and jerk, you know, you always should be able to clean and jerk 30 kilos more than you clean and press. But for me, I was clean and jerking the same amount of weight because of my clean. You know, so I, I ended up cleaning, pressing 400 pounds, but my best clean and jerk was also 400 pounds. So, you know, most guys that I competed with could clean and clean and press maybe, I don't know, 375 and then snatch 330 or so and then clean and jerk, you know, 420 or whatever. And uh, so they would beat me based on, you know, my poor snatch and my poor clean. So uh, it, it, it just was one of those things that uh, I think guys like me hated to get rid of the clean and press. But in reality, one of the lifts had to go. And, uh, you know, the, the, I've always said right now, you, you milk the snatches. You do what you can in the snatch, but you do what you have to do in the clean and jerk to make it. So, you know, the clean and jerk is a hell of a lift, and, and I train my athletes that way. I, I really try to get them efficient in the snatch, and we do as good as we can do. But the bottom line is you win your weightlifting contest by how much you do in the clean and jerk. So we work hard in the clean and jerk. So to answer the question, you know, those of us that were good in the clean and press hated to see it go, but we also realized it was necessary for it to go because it weightlifting contests were taking anywhere between eight and 12 hours to, you know, to, to get in there. You know, it wasn't like it was today. I mean, you'd have maybe a hundred athletes at a national championships on one platform and you'd start, I'd start my weigh-ins at eight o'clock in the morning and I wouldn't start lifting until eight o'clock at night. And, you know, today <laughs> pretty much the weightlifting contests run on time and maybe two or three platforms are, or being, you know, being run at the same time. And, and that's the way it should be. And, and really, we learned that from weightlifting contest in Canada back in the, you know, the early 2000s. So, you know, I was on the, the world team circuit. And, and uh, we'd go up to Canada and compete in Montreal. And they'd be running two and three platforms, which was really outstanding. So we had a lot of fun learning that. Yeah, that's amazing. When it comes to teaching, um, I, you mentioned that you've you, you taught the Olympic lifts when you were you know you're teaching high school aged people. Was there? Tell me, I guess, tell me a little bit about that. Was there any concern at the time about you know introducing weightlifting and, and heavier weights with 
with kids and developing kids at the time because I know that's something that a lot of people concern themselves with or some people do concern themselves with today um, is introducing weights with kids. So how did you, uh, did you find that or what did you learn from, from working with kids initially? Um, well, you know, I use my own kids as, as a great example. I mean, I, I taught, you know, my kids would come into the weight room because I had a, I have a two car garage and it's, it's a, it was a regional training center for USA weightlifting. So we would train a lot of great athletes in, in, in my garage gym. And so my kids would come in the, come in the garage and they'd want to be like the big people. And, and, you know, all of a sudden, you know, they're snatching PVC pipe and clean and jerking PVC pipe. And, and then from there, they just started moving in an upward direction. And I always felt like that if I taught them the right form, you know, first they had to show an interest. And then once they shoot, showed the interest and they really wanted to lift weights and get into weightlifting contests, then we, we made sure that, you know, that we had never loaded the bar, you know, up unless they could have, you know, unless they could handle the right way, the technique the right way, they could handle that weight. And, and that's pretty much the way I ran my classes. I, I believe that, you know, that, uh, you know, the art of teaching is, is, and the fundamentals of teaching are stance, grip, and position. And, uh, you know, stance and grip are pretty straightforward, but the positions are ongoing. And as a, even as an individual grows in body weight and so on and so forth, those positions can change. So we spend a lot of time, we spend a lot of time in my gym and in my classroom uh, teaching the fundamentals of, of, of weightlifting, stance, grip, and positions, and then working on mobility, speed, you know, and uh, uh, just strength, basically. And, and we, in my classrooms at the high school level, my kids didn't snatch really until 18 weeks. They'd have to join my class, and then we spent the first semester working on technique, you know, the burden of warm-up, skill transfer, skill transfer exercises, all those, all those exercises. And then, you know, exercises to make the body strong, push-ups, pull-ups, you know, rope climb, all of those things that were going to make the body stronger so that they can accommodate that heavier resistance. But we, I, I feel very strongly with, fundamentals and I feel very strongly with drills and skills so in our world we worked hard at, at teaching that and making sure the kids were very efficient with it and my final exam never included how much weight you could lift but what was your technique like you know that's that's what we're really what we look for so I mean a kid could come in and, and snatch 250 pounds you know, 100, 100 kilos, 110 kilos or whatever, and get a poorer grade than somebody that snatched the bar because I really graded them on a 10-point 10, 10 grading system, basically. And, and that's how I gave them their, their letter grade. So they knew that they had to lift the weight the proper way in order to pass my class with a, you know, with a good grade in the neighborhood. Absolutely. And I think I, I love that as a, as a fellow coach myself, like just the idea that you have to do really well things at, at smaller weights before uh, with good technique before moving up to bigger weights. Cause you, you often see that within the weightlifting, not necessarily the weightlifting community, but a lot in the, in the CrossFit community. One of the things you glanced over was the, the Bergener warmup, um, which is something that as a CrossFit coach, um, we have, we have it in our, in our gym as well. Every time we're doing snatches, every time we're doing clean and jerks, it's in our coaches warm up for the most part. Um, and a lot of our, a lot of our, you know, members and people might not necessarily know who you are yet, but they know who the Bergner warm up is. So how did you come up with that? How did you come up with the name and, and why is it important for, you know, novice weightlifters all the way up to advanced weightlifters to, to perform before start loading the barbell? Well, it, you know, that, that's a great question because back in the day when I was at Notre Dame, Father Lane, you know, it would always tell you, I want you know, start warming up. We're going we're gonna to lift heavy today or we're going to do the snatches today or whatever. And so, you know, throughout time, I developed, you know, five to ten exercises that I would do that would really make me feel, uh, you know, it, it just make me feel very – loose and fit and ready to go for for my for my workout and uh you know and, and then finally i just put finally i just put five exercises together then five more and i do those every single day and i do them before every workout i just we didn't know what the hell it was called we just did these workouts and, and all of our 
all of my buddies would all do the same thing. And then when I got involved with CrossFit, you know, I warmed up just like my PE classes. I warmed up the, the people in CrossFit that were taking our course. I warmed them up the same way. And, uh, you know, they, they wanted to know what the exercise was called and what the warm-up was called. And, and you know, in the beginning, I said, well, I don't know what the exercise is called. We don't have a name for it. And then, then finally, my daughter Sage says, well, Daddy, why don't you call it the burden of warm-up? And I said, okay, it's, from here on out, it's called the burden of warm-up. And, that, and that's basically the way it got started. I mean, we, my daughter named it, and uh, it, it was called the burden of warm-up because of her and the skill transfer exercises were just, they weren't part of the burden of warm-up, but they were part of the burden of warm-up. The, the burden of warm-up could have easily been 10 exercises instead of five, but I wanted to I wanted to give somebody the opportunity to say, okay, we're going to do these five exercises every day, the burden of warm-up. And we may not do the skill transfer exercises every day, but in reality, you know, my PE classes would warm up. They would jog down to my weight room. They would do the junkyard dog warm-up, which is the jumping exercise, and that's the way I taught weightlifting is that the snatch is nothing more than a jump, jumping the bar through a range of motion, and then receiving the bar at various, you know, various heights, whether it's a power snatch or a power clean or a full snatch or a full clean. And, you know, we just worked on that every single day. And then right after the junkyard dog, they would do the burden and warm-up and the skill transfer exercises, and, and they would do them on their own with maybe a partner, and it would take them maybe 10 minutes to do that, and then they'd be ready for instruction. And uh, I, would, I would take role while they were doing that, the junkyard dog and the burden of warm-up, and all of a sudden, you know, that just became their daily routine. And these kids started snatching big weights and clean and jerking big weights. And at one point, we, uh, we ended up taking 50 kids to a school age and a junior national championships, and, and they were all basically PE kids. They weren't, they weren't normal football players or basketball players or anything else, but they did have instruction on a daily basis and fundamental working on a daily basis of the snatch and the clean and jerk. Yeah, that's amazing. And I, I think that like it teaches like a really fundamental level, especially when you're thinking about it really, really intensely, uh, not just kind of going through the motions of doing it, but thinking about the bar path, thinking about extension, all those kinds of things in the footwork. Um, when it comes to how you got into CrossFit and where you noticed uh, CrossFit, you know, I can, I can imagine anyways, halfway through those 32 years that you're thinking, you know, uh, I'm going to ride this out until I retire and then I'm going to do whatever it is. Did you envision something like CrossFit ever coming up? Did you envision a career after teaching or, or tell me about that process? Well, I, I was heavily involved in, in USA weightlifting. You know I mean? I was like, I, like I said, I was a junior world team coach and a world team coach. And, you know, we would go to national championships and world competitors, competitions and so on. And so I, my life was really school teaching and, and weightlifting. And in order to you know, fund my travels and, to, and give money to the kids for travel, I had to go out and do courses for USA weightlifting. And, you know, they would, they, depending on the number of, athletes that you got signed up or coaches you got signed up with USA weightlifting club coaches level and, and level two coaching levels depending on that was how much money I made so I had a well a good class of numbers then I made a lot of money and that money was all filtered through my ASB account associate student body account and when I needed it I would just put in for it for travel that I was taking four or five kids to a national championship and this is the money that's used to pay their way. And then all of a sudden coach Glassman uh, contacts us and he wants to bring down several of his athletes uh, to take the USA weightlifting club coaches course. And uh, so he, he brought, I don't know, 20 people down to my high school and we did this course and he loved it. And, uh, yeah, and, that, and that's basically the way it got started. And he asked me, you know, to go with him to a, a seminar that he was going to do out in Colorado. And uh, the seminar was for first responders, basically. And uh, he and I both laughed because he couldn't believe that they were going to pay him $8,000 to get 
and do this two or three day seminar of this idea that he had called CrossFit. And uh, yeah, I said, boy, I'd love to go. So I went out there and presented three hours. Basically, all I did was run a, run a group of Navy SEALs and Marine recon guys and firefighters and police officers through a three-hour segment of my PE class, basically, is all I did. And uh, what, what happened, the guy that put on the course, hosted the course, charged everybody $500 for the course, and uh, there were 50 people in the course, so he made $25,000, and then after he paid Glassman, he had $17,000 left, and Glassman saw that and said, whoa, wait a minute, there's, there's a, an opportunity here for us to develop CrossFit. So after a, you know, after a week or two, he calls me up and says, we're going to do seminars up in Santa Cruz. We're going to do a three-day seminar. We're going to charge $1,000, and we're going to have 60 people sign up. And he said, I want you part of it. And I'm going, you got to be kidding me. This is awesome. So, I mean, I, I drove up there once a month and presented three hours worth of work and he paid me very well. And, and, uh, you know, I loved it. And then after a year was over with, he, he wanted to downstream a little bit and change the seminars from three days to two days. So he created the subject matter expert program, which was gymnastics and, you know, became weightlifting and a bunch of other stuff. And uh, asked us to go out on our own, and and he would he would fund us. He would he would basically collect all the revenues and you know, sign up people to take our course. And he wanted us to do a two day course, and that's the way CrossFit weightlifting got started. Was us doing that, and it's been going you know strong every since two thousand and six or seven, I believe. Two thousand seven, I did five seminars on my own. Two thousand eight, I did ten. And 2009, I did 40, and it just it just really grew from there. Yeah, yeah, I think that, and then that was one of the things I was reading about this morning was just the growth of of Olympic weightlifting over the past probably yeah. decades has been insane. Like I, I know that it, it really grew as CrossFit grew from 2006 to 2012, but even in the Wall Street Journal article I was reading. From 2012 to 2016, the amount of people signed up in USA weightlifting went from 11,000 to 26,000. Yeah. Do, do you attribute that to just CrossFit, or, or how, what's been the explosion of, of things like that? Because you know you have athletes today like Maddie Rogers, who's a, a national uh, national champion, national record holder, and she started out you know picking up a barbell in a CrossFit gym. Sure. No, I do. I believe, I believe that that growth is due to CrossFit. There's, there's no other, there's no other answer for it because I, I was involved in, in weightlifting back in the day. And, you know, before CrossFit, I think we had 3000 members. I was on the board of directors for USA weightlifting and we were always trying to figure out how we could get more people involved. And we, we figured that we were going to have to do it at the elementary school level. Because uh, at the high school, you were always fighting football coaches. Football coaches loved weightlifting. They wanted us to do it, but they didn't want any of their athletes to compete at a, you know, at a, at a level of competition, you know, either, either locally, nationally, or internationally. They didn't, want, they didn't want to their athletes to do that. So it was very hard for us to get any of, you know, a, a football athlete, especially the ones that had to lift weights anyway, but it was very hard for us to recruit those kids into our program, even though it was a natural fit. So CrossFit comes along and, and I said this to weightlifting when it was, you know, when it was first getting started, I, I told weightlifting that they had to buy in to this CrossFit program because coach Glassman had an idea and he called it the black box theory you know is that you you mm -hmm. put in 50 exercises in a black box and you you pull out eight and, and you know the guys that were the best fit athletes are the ones that could do all eight in a pretty good fashion but none of them they, they may not win one one of the eight exercises but they'd win overall and uh and I, I shared with them that this is what families are going to do people are going to join this crossfit revolution and they're going to bring their kids up in this revolution. And Glassman loves the Olympic lifts. 
He loves gymnastics, but he loves Olympic lifts as well. So I, I believe that we really need to get on board and, and uh, you know, sponsor this guy and really look at what he's doing. And, and they thought I was freaking crazy <laughs> because anybody that would snatch Grace or Isabel, you know, snatch 30 reps for time or clean and jerk 30 reps for time was nuts. He was insane. And people are going to get hurt. It's not going to hurt. And I just disagreed with him. So, you know, basically, I, I, I switched over. I said, I'm, I'm going to follow this stream. We're going to watch these guys grow. And you, you wait and see. You know, your Olympic-style weightlifting is going to grow exponentially because of CrossFit. And that's exactly what it did. But what they needed to have was a leader in that community that would follow that belief that CrossFit was really the, the reason why our sport is going to grow. And that guy was Phil Andrews. Basically, it started with Rick Adams, who was the national director for weightlifting in one year. For one year. Then he moved over to the, the Olympic uh, you know, committee there in Colorado Springs. And then they brought in you know, Phil Andrews from the U.K., and Phil saw the writing on the board. He, first of all, he saw how successful I was in doing CrossFit courses. And he thought, well, this is crazy. We're, we need to be doing the same thing that Bergner's doing. And that's exactly what happened. And we, he found that these guys that uh, uh, were doing CrossFit, they enjoyed lifting weights at weightlifting contests. And, and you know, you're young enough, you may not understand this, but – Back in the day, you'd go to a local, uh, a local weightlifting contest, and you know the 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 earlier weight classes lifted first, and of course the the young kids that weren't lifting very much would always lift first, and and there wouldn't be anybody there other than family to watch them. Now all of a sudden, you know, you throw in the CrossFit community, and that person has got a full room of people in attendance cheering for every lift that they make. And they, I mean, they just gravitated to it because there was so much enthusiasm and support by CrossFitters for everybody, not just the, the guys that were lifting the heaviest weight, but for everybody that was participating in the contest. And that's what CrossFit's all about. You know, these guys are all about, cheering on the last place guy just as just as strongly as you cheer on the first place guy so i think it just grew from there and it's all in my opinion it's all because of crossfit yeah i i definitely agree with you and one of the things like i wanted your kind of opinion on as a, as a coach and who, as someone who's been in you know both sides of of that uh that side of history in terms of you know usa weightlifting you know doing I don't want to say low reps, not, not things for time. And then the other aspect of things of doing a workout like Grace or Isabel, where you're doing it for time. What was your discussion with, uh, with people from USA Weightlifting in terms of like the safety and efficacy of it? Um, and how do you coach that within athletes who are doing, you know, maybe CrossFit or something like that, or doing a hybrid of both where you, you know, you're still doing things for time. You're still doing three, 30 cleaning jerks for time with Grace, but you're doing so that, all 30 of those reps or most of them anyways should still look really good. That was, that was the big challenge. That, that was what it was all about. And I, and I used my athlete, Josh ever, who was a great example. He, he was, you know, he got second in the CrossFit games in the very beginning. I think it was the second year of the games, but I mean, here's a guy that was a national competitor in, in weightlifting and, you know, and he did a grace or an Isabel, uh, you know, he did Isabel in the sub-60 seconds with the most ugliest snatches <laughs> that you could ever even see. I mean, it was a rounded back, stiff-legged deadlift to a muscle snatch done repeatedly, and he did 30 reps in under 60 seconds. It was the ugliest thing you'd ever want to see. However, you know, then you take my daughter-in-law, Natalie Bergner, who was a 2008 Olympian. The first time she did Isabel, and, and she was a national record holder in the stash, but the first time she did Isabel, she, it took her, I think it, it took her seven minutes and 30 seconds to do the 30 reps because she was so ingrained in her setup and her delivery and everything had to be precise like a weightlifter. But then once that she figured out that, okay, well, wait a minute, I just have to go faster to get this done, she did a sub-three-minute Isabel 
and with perfect perfect form all the way through. So in my world, I started really emphasizing proper technique with the CrossFitters. And I did that because, and I use Josh as an example, because simply his technique was ugly. And later on during the, during the, de- the workouts of, you know, the, the games, for an example, he would be more fatigued and not be able to recover if he used improper technique much more so than the person that used good technique. So, so maybe Natalie did a, a two minute and 30 second Isabel, but she'd be able to complete all three days in a very rest, not rested, but in a much more efficient manner than Josh would be when he did a 60 second Isabel. So I, you know, that was one of the things that I really emphasized in the beginning, but as time went on, you know, people's technique just got better and better and better. And I don't, I don't think, Honestly, at the games, I don't see anybody that has bad technique in the snatch. I mean, I, I think the biggest thing that if they were doing Isabella Grace right now, the biggest thing is that you might have early arm pull, you know. But, I mean, it is it, – the, the technique has just gotten a 1,000% better all the way through CrossFit. And I, and I just believe that that's because, you know, box owners and, and coaches have learned to – coach it the right way and and they won't allow for improper technique that's going to get somebody hurt you know so i agree yeah i think that you're, you're definitely right at the games level that things have gotten completely better even if you look at you know gymnastics and stuff like that as well like sure. annie thor's daughter during one of the very first games it might have been the first ones that that famous one where she got her first muscle up was like an ugly muscle up but look at her now and yeah. another person like i remember uh another famous video from I want to say it was 2011 or somewhere between 2011 and 2013 was when uh, I think Jason Kaliba was doing a snatch and he was he he missed out in front and ended up throwing basically the barbell into the cameraman very closely right so like and you just don't see that for the most part at at competitions anymore at least yeah. at the games level so you're definitely right about that um, for sure one of the things I kind of wanted to ask you about too within the the coaching side of things, because you work with a ton of athletes, you know, individually um, as well as just, you know, coaching coaches on this is the mindset around Olympic weightlifting um, and setting up for barbells and things like that. Um, because I think that's a really important aspect of weightlifting that a lot of coaches might not necessarily get into um, because they're just coaching the snatch. They're just coaching the clean and jerk. And, I, and I've heard you say in, in past uh, episodes of podcasts or just listening to you talk that you like to get deeper than that on, on working with, as a coach, you know, talking about their personal relationships and all those kinds of things that helps you get into the mindset of them and, and helping develop them as more than someone that can just lift weight. But when they approach the barbell, they're confident to do that. I think that's probably the most important part of coaching is, you know, programming is easy. I mean, I can, you want a program, I can make you a program. And and I'll make you a program that's very generic and you're going to get better. There's no doubt about it. But the, the real art of coaching and working with an athlete is to get into that deep level of understanding of what that athlete is all about. I mean, that athlete is going to be different than any other athlete that you're working with. So for me, the art of program became, well, I'm going to make this program for my daughter, Sage, because this is Sage's weaknesses. But then I'm going to make this program for my son, Casey, because this is Casey's weaknesses. And some of those weaknesses may be generated because of lack of confidence for, for Sage, whereas Casey might have an overabundance of confidence and you have to treat him in a little bit different different way and based on his weaknesses and strengths his workout is going to be based on that but the art of coaching is getting deep within that athlete's mentality and let them rise to the top and that means sometimes you're going to have to yell at athletes and that athlete can take it then other times you're going to have to put your arm around the shoulder of an athlete because that's what that athlete needs at that time to be successful and it can be a time where you have to do both. I mean, I've had an athlete where I've had to absolutely kick him in the ass to get him to do something. And then the other athlete, same athlete, I've had to put my arm around their shoulders and say, look, man, we just had a bad day. Let's, let's forget about it and let's work on. Or, or that athlete had trouble with their mom and dad or, 
they're financially burdened or whatever. They got so much other things on your mind on their minds that you know that it will can it improve or enhance that performance or or downgrade that performance. And and you as a coach need to be involved with that athlete. And if you've got twenty five or thirty athletes, you have to be on top of all twenty five or thirty of them. You know, that's just, that's the art of coaching and working with fundamentals and drills and skills. And, and you know, there are generic programs out there. We're going to snatch, we're going to clean and jerk, we're going to front squat, and then we're going to work the weaknesses of every one of our athletes, you know, depending on who that athlete is. And that can be mental weaknesses and it can be physical weaknesses as well. Yeah, I, I definitely agree with you on that. And one of the other things too, that you mentioned and, and another, uh, another, podcast or it might have been the uh the youtube uh thing that barbell shrug did on you um a while back was you talked about you know some coaches are those are those people that are are screaming on the sidelines and they got thirty thousand words for a five second movement and there's other coaches where it's like you you know you talk about the idea of simplicity and and really short cues um to give somebody so tell me a little bit about why you believe in that and also like asking athletes like you know, when you're breaking down clips or clips of lifts, like what did you see? How did you break that down? And getting kind of a, a, a relationship where you're working back and forth rather than just you telling them exactly what you saw. Yeah, I, I, there again, I think it's the athlete it's, it, that you're dealing with. I, I, as a school teacher, I, I always tell the story. I had, you know, one of my first coaching and, or teaching assignments was was with a, a group of kids that were 15, 16, 17 years of age. And I, you know, I got up in front of that class and I was talking about, you know, stance, grip and positions. And I was talking about finish and it's, you know, it's ankle, knees and hip extensions and going through all this verbiage basically to, you know, explain, explain what the snatch and the, and the clean jerk was all about. And, you know, after class this, 15 year old comes up to me and, and she says to me, coach, I mean, and she's a physics girl. She's very smart. And she says, coach, I, I just don't get it. You talk about your arms are like ropes and, you know, and you talk about ankle, knee and hip extension and that's real confusing. She says, shit, why don't you just say jump? <laughs> and, and I'm going, Whoa, wait a minute. You know? And, and I started thinking about it and I started thinking about the barbell through a path of, of, of you know, of, of range that it goes through when you lift from the ground all the way into the end of a snatch or, you know, and I, and I, I'm looking at this trajectory and, and I'm watching the double knee bend or the scoop or the transition they talk about in, in, in the science of weightlifting. And then in one five second conversation, this girl says to me, why don't you just tell them to jump? I put it all together and I'm going, holy shit. You know, I've been, I've been doing this and looking at this wrong the whole way, you know? And so basically I just, I, I started breaking it down because of that kid. She taught me how to teach in a simple form, in a simple simplistic fashion so that people could understand. And if it wasn't for her, I'd probably be talking about still ankle, knee and hip extension. And then, then she brought out this jump rope and she had a weight at the end of the jump rope and, she says, Coach, here's your here's your arms. You know, she had she had the two ends of the jump rope in each hand, one in the right, one in the left. And then she says, You see the weight down there at the bottom? And I'm going, Yeah, I mean, I'm being educated right here by a 15-year-old. And she says, Look what happens when you jump. What's what happens? And she basically jumped that barbell, that plate, using the jump rope. She jumped, went down and jumped it up, and the weight went flying up. And she says, that's what you're trying to do, isn't it? And I'm going, hell yeah. That's exactly what we're trying to do. And I, and I use that in my teaching so that people can understand exactly visually what we're trying to do with that barbell. And that girl taught me that. And that is the most simplistic way that you can visually show somebody what you're trying to get them to do. Now it takes a lifetime to be able to get you into that position so that you can properly jump that barbell through a range of motion, create an acceleration and elevation on it. That's what the coaching is all about. But if they can understand how to bring that barbell up to the proper position and then at the right height, mid thigh or thereabouts, 
think about jumping that barbell up rather than pulling that barbell up, you automatically create extension and acceleration on the barbell. And that's simple. That's easy to understand. And if you can get that visual person to see that and understand that their, their, their time in learning the sport is just, it goes down. I mean, you can learn it really quickly. And that's what we did in my PE classes and all because of that girl forcing me to keep it simple, you know, and, uh, and that's what we did. Yeah, that's, uh, that's awesome. I think that one of the things you kind of mentioned was just like, like my, my coaching mentor often said to me, like, why use a million dollar word when the five cent word will do, right? Like, it's, there's a lot of times, like I've learned as a novice coach where I'll, I'll say the same things as you did, like just like going, saying these really mechanical jargon that I would hear or, or read through like, you know, physical education books, but right. like that, no one understands that, right? So that's right. important to, to make things like, I think I heard E.C. Sinkowski say, coach, like you're going to talk, like you're talking to a five-year-old, make it really, really simple uh, for, for, for people to understand. One of the couple last questions I want to ask you is just, you know, some more personal stuff because this week I saw that you were, I think it was this week anyways, you were, um, you were nominated or named to the USA weightlifting hall of fame. And, you know, I introduced you as the godfather of American weightlifting. What are those like titles and accomplishments mean to you personally, uh, towards your legacy? Well, I, I, I'm very humbled by it. I mean, I, I have no idea how that Godfather of American weightlifting even got started, but I mean, because as, as far as I'm concerned, the real Godfather of American weightlifting is Bob Hoffman. I mean, he was the guy that started all this back in the you know the 40s and 50s. But you know, I I I, I wear that title pr uh, proudly. You know, I mean, I'm very humbled by it. Uh, when people say that, I kind of turn red and I'm embarrassed by it because I understand Bob Hoffman and what he did. And, and I certainly, you know, I, I, I don't consider myself equal to him at all. <clears throat> but I think if, if anything that I do have is the fact that I was at the right place at the right time, was smart enough to bring CrossFit, you know, into weightlifting and, and try to get them to marry themselves together so that we could have a better sport and Olympic style weightlifting. As far as the Hall of Fame thing is concerned, I was humbled by it again. I mean, it, it's one of those things that, gosh, I, I can't believe that they nominated me for that. And, uh, uh, you know, and I, I wear that proudly. I mean, it's, it's something that, you know, I'll take to the grave with me that, you know, I mean, I, I've worked my ass off. My family's worked their ass off and my kids have worked their butts off doing this stuff and trying to be positive role models and product. You know, positive mentors, you know, for the sport. And I think, I think that's important. And, and if, if that's reflected by me getting inducted into the hall of fame, so be it. And uh, I'm just very, I'm very proud of it. And I'm very humbled by it at the same time. Yeah. I, like you definitely, I mean, deserve it from all, all the purposes that I've seen so far. Um, one of the things that I was going to say too, is like, the amount of like if for people that don't know you um, and haven't followed you, you've literally said on podcasts, like you've given out your cell phone number, which I've taken full advantage of yeah. um, and your email and, and said like, you know, shoot me your list. Like I'll go over your list and he's not kidding around. He will actually go over your list and send you back feedback. But also like you're, you're on the phone right now with a guy from Canada who you've never really met why why do you do what you do like you're you're 72 years old you could just you you'd be very well easy to just you know lift with your geezers in the garage enjoy your life and not do everything that you do but you're still doing it so like why why do why do what you do and do you ever see like a retirement in in mind with you of like not not coaching all that kind of thing no, I, I don't, I, you know what, retirement is overrated. I mean, it, it's, <laughs> I love that. I, yeah, I, I, my mom and dad, you know, my dad told me, he says, you, you wait and see when you retire, you know, you're going to have to have a hobby. You're going to have to do something or you'll be bored. And I kind of laughed at it, you know, I mean, I thought, you know, back when I was, you know, 30 and 40, I was looking at him when he was retiring and I'm going, man, I can't wait to retire. And, uh, <laughs> and my dad just kind of shook his head and he was a very wise man, but he shook his head and laughed and he says, okay. 
Well, you'll see. I just, I won't be around to laugh at you, but uh, you'll see. And I laughed at him again, but he was absolutely correct. I mean, I, I retired from public school teaching, but I moved right into CrossFit and I worked my ass off. You know? and, uh, I mean, it was really long hours and time consuming and, and coaching. And I mean, I would come home and just be dead tired. But, but you know, I, I was a happy camper. I was doing what I love to do and, and working with kids and adults alike and trying to make them better. And it was just something for me that I could, I could kind of play it forward because of Father Lang and, and everything that he did and the success that I had in, in weightlifting and football was all because of him paying it forward. But, you know, for me, you know, somebody calls me up and they, they ask me to look at their videos or whatever. It keeps me busy. And, and you know, and it, it's a challenge as well. As much as I do it for them and open myself up for other people, I really do it for me, too, because it keeps me busy and keeps my mind sharp and keeps my eyes sharp. And it's a challenge. How can I get this kid that's letting the bar pull him forward? I want him to be able to see and understand what's happening here. Because in my world, I, I was taught years ago by Steve Goff from Montana that, you know, 90% of all missed lifts are attributed to the feet. So that's a very, you know, stance, grip, and position is the fundamentals of teaching. So if I look at an athlete right away with their lifts, the first thing that I look at is that stance. And I want to be able to break that lift down and be able to have that athlete see, you know, what I'm talking about. And so when I look at videos, it's a challenge for me to be able to get that athlete that I'm talking with to see what I'm seeing and how we can correct it. And, you know, and that's that to me is the art of coaching. And that's really fun for me. And even at 73, I enjoy getting up in the morning and looking at videos and, and seeing athletes, you know, why they're doing what they're doing and how can, how can, how did that athlete miss that lift? What was the problem there? And see if I can, you know, I can identify the problem and then think about what would I have that athlete do if he was my athlete? How can I make that athlete, how can I get in that athlete's head to understand the coaching cues that I'm giving him? And it's, it's, it's an everyday challenge. It's daily. It's not just done on a sometime basis. It's done all the time. And that's how I, that's my hobby now is to be able to, you know, if I can coach somebody, some athlete and make them better, then that's something that I do not only for the athlete, but I also do it for me, like I said. Yeah. I, I love your philosophy on life with that too. Cause like, that's one thing that like, I just don't believe, I, not that I'm, I'm too young for it to really have the, you know, the weathered, approach on life but um i just don't believe in like you know saving all this time saving all this money so that i can just sit on uh sit on my butt for the rest of my life and, and not do anything and not contribute to society so my last question with you mike is is you know what do you want your legacy to be and like what are you most proud of uh as a man as a coach as a father and as a husband Boy, boy, I, I would, I think for me, I would like to be known in the same paragraph as Father Lang, although I don't, I don't believe I could carry his bags for him. He's such a, he, he's had such an effect on me uh, growing up and, and my dad as well. I mean, those, those two men, you know, I mean, there's several Ameriparsesian, but the, those guys were my mentors, whether he, they even knew it or not. But I mean, for me, if I could be one-tenth of one percent, have that effect on somebody the same way Father Lang and my dad and all my coaches, Aaron Parsegian, the same effect that those guys had on me. I would like to have that same effect on others that I've, that I work with. And, and it's not about, yeah, I know that there's times that you're, you're going to have to make an income doing the things that you, that you do. But I would, I would like to think that, you know, I, I'm doing the things that I do because I love what I do. And if I can help one person change their life in a positive manner through Olympic weightlifting or CrossFit, then I certainly want to be known that I did that, you know. And, uh, you know, and he gave back. I mean, I, as much as I got from all these teachers and coaches, I want to give back more than even that. And, and I got a ton, but I want to be able to try to work hard to help others in the same way that I was helped. Awesome. Yeah. I think that's amazing that, that what you're doing right now and, and it's so inspirational to be like working, like I said, 
and, and contributing even when you don't have to and just for the love of it, not necessarily for the, the money in it involved. Thanks so much for coming on, Mike. I want to give you the chance to kind of uh, tell people where they can find you either on social media or just how to contact you. And, you know, I would say like, although you're not like the most, uh, the most active on Instagram, you know, one of the things that it's beneficial if you're in the area where you live, um, you're following you is you, you open up your gym like once a week, at least to, to just general public coming up and, and lifting with you guys up there. So yeah, tell everybody about where they can find you. Yeah, Mike's gym is is like I said, it's part of my house. I'm I'm actually looking at it right now. My wife's running her Mamba class. Mother's against <laughs> making bingo arms. You know, they're they're out in the garage training right now. And but you know, Mike's gym is located in Bonzo, California, which is about forty miles north of San Diego. And you know, it's open. You know, by appointment, just about any time. And but on uh, Monday, Wednesdays, and Fridays, the geezers train, and Tuesday, Thursdays, the, the mamas train. And then Sage's tribe—they come up and train regularly at Mike's gym. And and you're always welcome here. You know, if you're in the area and you want to get a workout in, or if you want somebody to take a look at your snatch and clean and jerk and give you some coaching tips, then you know, come on up. We don't, uh, you know, we love doing this stuff and. You know, I'd be glad to help you any way I can. Wednesdays are open gym, uh, you know, and everybody is welcome without an appointment. You just come up and show up. And any other time, you should give me a call to make sure that we're in the area and that you need some help with the snatch or clean a jerk and you'd like for me to take a look at them. You can just call me at 760-535-1835 or text me at that same number and say, hey, I'm going to be in the area June 2nd. Are you going to be around so I can come up for a visit? And I'll take a look at my calendar and I'll text you back or call you back and say, yeah, the calendar's open. I'll put you in there for 10 o'clock or something to that effect. Uh, you know, mikesgym.org is no longer in, in business. That was eliminated uh, a year and a half or two years ago. But BergnerStrength.com is coming up. They're going to be, you know, a new website is launching for Bergner Strength, which is a business of my son that I'm going to be part of as well. And CrossFitWeightlifting.com is, is right now a, you know, a place that people can go to get information and workouts and so on and so forth. Awesome. Yeah. Thanks so much. And I, I definitely want to take you up on that offer to come, uh, to come visit your gym. I think that's, uh, it's something that, you know, most CrossFitters and most weightlifters should uh, put, put on their bucket list of sorts to, to get, definitely get done. Thanks so much for coming on, Mike. I know we could definitely talk and, and share more stories for the next couple of hours, but thanks so much for giving me uh, some time. Yeah. Thanks, Eric. I appreciate you having me. Awesome. Thank you so much, Mike. I, 